this morning. The first one is from 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 3, 20, and 23 through 25. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophecies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Second reading is from Romans 14, 13 through 15, 19 through 20, and then 15, 2 through 3, and 5 through 6. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you, are, what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen through 22 In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then... When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Buenos días. Primero de Corintios 14, 1, 3. Uh, 20, 23 al 25. Empeñense en seguir el amor y las ambiciones y ambiciones, los dones y ambiciones los dones espirituales, sobre todo el de profecía, porque el que habla en lenguas no habla a los demás sino a Dios. En realidad, nadie le entiende lo que dice, pues habla misterios por el Espíritu. En cambio, el que profetiza habla a los demás para edificarlos, animarlos y consolarlos. Hermanos, no sean niños en su modo de pensar, sean niños en cuanto a la malicia, pero adultos en su modo de pensar. Así que toda la iglesia se reúne y todos hablan en lenguas y entran algunos que no entienden o no creen. No dirán que ustedes están locos, pero si uno que no cree o que no entiende entra cuando todos están profetizando, se sentirá reprendido y juzgado por todos, y los secretos de su corazón quedarán al descubierto. Así que se postrará ante Dios y lo adorará, exclamando, 
realmente Dios está entre ustedes. Romanos capítulo 14, 13 al 15, 19 al 20, capítulo 15, de 2 al 3, 5 al 6. Por tanto, dejemos de juzgarnos unos a otros. Más bien, propónganse no poner tropiezos ni obstáculos al hermano. Yo de mi parte estoy plenamente convencido en el Señor Jesús que no hay nada impuro en sí mismo. Si algo es impuro, lo es solamente para quien así lo considera. Ahora bien, si tu hermano se angustia por causa de lo que comes, ya no te comportas con amor. No destruyas por causa de la comida al hermano por quien Cristo murió. Por lo tanto, esforcémonos por promover todo lo que conduzca a la paz y a la mutua edificación. No destruyas la obra de Dios por causa de la comida. Todo alimento es puro. Lo malo es hacer tropezar a otros por lo que uno come. Cada uno debe agradar al prójimo para su bien, con el fin, con el fin de edificarlo. Porque ni siquiera Cristo se agradó a sí mismo, sino que, como está escrito, sobre mí han recaído los insultos de tus detractores. Que el Dios que infunde aliento y perseverancia les conceda vivir juntos en armonía, conforme al ejemplo de Cristo Jesús, para que con un solo corazón y a una sola voz glorifiquen al Dios y Padre de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. Primera de Corintios, capítulo 11, del 18 al 22. En primer lugar, oigo decir que cuando se reúnen como iglesia, hay divisiones entre ustedes, y hasta cierto punto lo creo. Sin duda, tienen que haber grupos sectarios entre ustedes para que se demuestre quiénes cuentan con la aprobación de Dios. De hecho, cuando se reúnen, ya no es cuentan con la aprobación de Dios. De, oh, excuse me para comer la cena del Señor, porque cada uno se adelanta a comer su propia cena, de manera que unos se quedan con hambre mientras otros se emborrachan. ¿Acaso no tienen casas donde comer y beber? ¿O qué menosprecian a la iglesia de Dios y quieren avergonzar a los que no tienen nada? ¿Qué les diré? ¿Voy a elogiarlos por esto? Claro que no. Thanks, guys. When the reading started and we opened up the bulletin to the text, I heard my wife, Paula, uh, say under her breath, whoa. Uh, that, that was a long reading, uh, but we'll work through it together. Um, but if I could ask all of you to pull out what I hope is an insert in your bulletins, and that is this card that summarizes our vision and mission. We'll be making reference uh, to that in our time. And also want to let you know that we will be having, as we've started up again last week, uh, a short time of Q&A, question and answer after the sermon, uh, just a chance for you to uh, dialogue with me a little bit about what the Bible says about some of the topics that we're going to be covering, a chance for you uh, to interact a little bit as part of our growing process. And so if you want to just keep in mind questions you might want to ask or jot them down uh, in the notes section of the bulletin, you are very welcome to do that. But before we we proceed, can we pray? Let's stop and pray. God, thank you for being a God who speaks to us, that you're not silent, leaving us to fend for ourselves or leaving us to wonder what you have on your heart, your mind. You have spoken, and you've spoken most clearly to us through the person of your son, Jesus. Help us to hear him. 
Help our community to be one that is wrapped around the person and the life and the grace of Jesus Christ. We pray that everything about what we say and think and talk about and work through today would be for His glory and for our good as a new church that's seeking to be on mission with you, God. So work in our hearts, work in our relationships, work in our neighborhood. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're spending a few weeks looking at the vision of our church, part of our fall kickoff, a good way to start off this season with a sense of direction. Where are we going in unity, being together, and passion, being motivated by what we feel God has called us to be and do as a church. And as you can see on that card that's right in front of you, what we long to see more and more as a result of our ministry, in other words, our vision, is a true neighborhood. That's the big picture passion of what drives this community. You say, well, what exactly does that mean, true neighborhood? Well, we introduced the idea last week, and we're going to unpack it a little bit more next week, so please do come back. But last week, we also introduced our church's mission statement, which reminds us that we're committed to being what we call a gospel community, or what Jesus referred to as sort of a a hospital community, where it's normal to be needy, where we can start to find the healing that we so desperately long for and find the power to change that you and I so desperately lack in and of ourselves. Gospel community, hospital community, it's what we long to be here. But our mission statement includes more than that. As it says here on the card, if I could read it, our mission is... To build a gospel community that is spiritually diverse, cross-cultural, and neighborhood-centered for the glory of our, uh, for the good of our neighbors and the glory of Jesus Christ in Columbia Heights, Mount Pleasant, Adams Morgan, and beyond. And so what we have there right in the middle are three key commitments. That we're committed to being a spiritually diverse community. Which means that, yes, we're a church that celebrates the person of Jesus as our hope and as our salvation, but we want to do so as part of a journey that includes people from all different kinds of spiritual backgrounds, inviting them into the conversation, into the process of knowing God more and more. A place where you're encouraged to bring your questions air out all your doubts, even work through your hard objections as part of the growing process. And so, of course, that includes you if you grew up in a religious or even Christian household but were never allowed to go there with your doubts and your objections. We're also committed to being a a cross-cultural community Which means that we believe that Jesus died, Jesus died to bring people of different races and ethnicities together. 
Not in an easy and simplistic sort of way, but by the power and the grace of God. Yes, through much healing of racial wounds and through much persevering, through hard sometimes but life-giving conversations. Such that whether your family is from Venezuela or Vancouver, from Ghana or Great Britain or Guatemala, Kenya or Kazakhstan or Kansas or Korea, whether if you grew up in Germany or Germantown, Maryland, or maybe you're not sure how to describe your ethnic background, that you would know that we invite you, we welcome you, and we long to be an interdependent, incarnational, what is it like to be you? What does the world look like through your eyes? Loving community. Because we believe that we actually can know and experience more of God and the gospel when we experience God together rather than siloed apart. And we also talk here about being committed to becoming a neighborhood-centered community. In other words, not just a church for ourselves, within these walls, inside the church community, but rather being a church for our neighbors. Loving our neighbors. Caring for their, for your spiritual needs, physical needs, material needs, holistically. Being in relationship with the people immediately to our left and to our right. Caring for all of our neighbors, but with a special concern for our most socially, physically, and economically vulnerable neighbors. Caring about justice for the poor. Caring about laying down our lives for those that are marginalized and disenfranchised. And so devoting our time, our energy, our talents, our social and vocational power, our financial resources, our prayers, everything about our church devoted to the flourishing of this unique part of Washington, D.C., these neighborhoods. In other words, what we're talking about in our mission is being a mixed community, an interdependent, a a reconciled community of people from a wide range of spiritual and cultural and social backgrounds. Where convinced Christians are walking alongside curious but not yet convinced friends. Where Latino and white and black and Asian and everyone in between and every blend that's made up by some combination of those are in relationship with each other. Where rich and poor and working class and middle class people are together, humbled by the grace of God and lifted up by the grace of God and then sent out by the grace of God to love our neighbor, and to see this place transformed incrementally into what you might call a true neighborhood. A mixed community because that's what our neighborhood is, have you noticed? And because that's what the church, the family of God, is supposed to be. Mixed community. Friends, Do you want to be a part of a mission like that? And you might say, yep, sign me up. 
But you might also be thinking, well, how exactly do you do that? How exactly do you grow in this way? There obviously are multiple components to a biblical response to that question. Lots of layers and lots of issues that you could touch on. But I want to approach it from one angle here and look at these three passages that come from the New Testament. How exactly do we do that? The answer that today's passages, all three together, give us is something like that. Something like this. How to be a mixed community. It's being a church whose people intentionally make room for people not like themselves, motivated by the love of Jesus, empowered by an experience of Jesus. A community that intentionally makes room for others, a place where you and I sacrificially give up personal comforts, give up preferences, give up personal power even, so that people that are unlike me or you might feel a little bit more at home in community together. We have three passages here. In each one of them, the Apostle Paul is writing to help the church in Rome and in Corinth learn how to love one another in a spiritually and culturally and socioeconomically mixed community. That was the reality of the early church. The challenge before us is not new to biblical history. And so what you find in the church in Corinth, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, is Paul addressing a church that is, that was predominantly Christian in their gatherings. And he's addressing this issue of tongues and prophecy, which I know can become complicated and difficult to understand, and the debates abound all throughout church history. But understand this. This is simply what Paul is saying. Tongues, whether if it's foreign languages or angelic languages, that people in this day were speaking as a way to bless and encourage their own relationship with God, and it was just for themselves because no one around them was understanding it, Paul said, was great, but much to be preferred was speaking in languages that everybody could understand so that everybody could be encouraged and blessed and built up what Paul calls prophecy. And he throws out this hypothetical where he says, look, if you have a gathering and everyone there is speaking other languages, again, whether angelic or foreign languages, and an inquirer, someone that's looking into this story about Jesus, walks into your gathering, not only is it completely not helpful to him or her, but will he not think you are loco? Which is what our Spanish reading said. You're out of your mind, crazy. Not helpful, in fact, destructive. 
Paul raises the question, what does it look like for you to love in a way that makes room for the inquirer in your midst? And then in the church of Rome, The early church began predominantly as a Jewish movement of people that were embracing the Messiah, Jesus, and then extending themselves to non-Jewish communities all throughout the Mediterranean region. A church was start up in the capital of the Roman Empire, the city of Rome. And of course there, the church predominantly were made of, comprised of Gentiles, non-Jews. But there was a significant enough presence of Jewish people who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and yet who were completely scandalized by the way in which non-Jewish people were eating food that they, in their cultural and even religious backgrounds, used to consider unclean. A travesty, an offense, cognitive dissonance, something that was difficult for them. And what does Paul say? Non-Jewish believers, make room for your dear brothers and sisters Perhaps in love, even changing the food you eat to build them up and make a home for them in your midst. And then third passage, again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where the church was getting together not only for meals, but also what we often call the Lord's Supper or communion. We're going to celebrate it in a few minutes together. But this experience of God through Jesus and bread and wine and a shared communal time of spiritual feeding and what Paul is addressing in that passage was that apparently people were giving into the social customs of the day that had the richer, more affluent, more powerful members of the community in the special room of gathering, the VIP room. And anyone with less social standing and power and affluence, basically meeting in the overflow room outside of there. It was normal practice in Roman society, but Paul says, look, shouldn't the church be different? Doesn't the gospel compel us to relate to one another a little bit differently? In love, make room for those who have less than you. Even adjusting your social practices in the life of the church, and so be brother and sister with one another. Three passages. And we could actually list off many, many more. You find them all throughout the New Testament. But three here today that tell us ways in which we are to make room as a mixed community for one another. Let's do this quickly. Four quick principles I think we find in these different passages. And then we'll sing and do some Q&A. Four quick principles. Number one, we'll see if we get through these. Might chop one of those off, but four. Number one, making room means considering the needs of someone besides yourself. Making room means considering the needs and the experiences of someone besides yourself. You see, our normal human instinct is to move through life and even the church community only thinking about how it's working for me. Our instinct 
is to ask as diagnostic questions. Maybe you do it consciously. Maybe you do it subconsciously, but we all do it. You experience a church. You experience a new set of relationships. You experience a community. You experience a neighborhood. And you ask, am I comfortable? Is there something here for me? Do I like this? What's in it for me? The Apostle Paul is trying to retrain the hearts of these dear people to turn their attention and their energy inside out by simply calling it love. (laughs) It's pretty basic. But to call them to consider the experience of other people in the community before they consider their own. This is the way of love, Paul says. 1 Corinthians 14, the very first verse. Follow the way of love. He uses the language of building others up, this edification language. It's not, a, it's not words that we use often, but it simply means not tearing down, but building up, helping to construct the lives of other people to become more fully what God intended them to be in Jesus. So we have here in Romans 14, verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace, harmony, togetherness, and to mutual edification being built up. So I'm thinking about you and not simply thinking about me. He's even more explicit in chapter 15, verse 2, when Paul says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Do you hear the perspective again and again? This invitation to ponder, to understand, even to study the needs and experiences of someone not like you in the life of the church. In 1 Corinthians 14, that other person was the person that's new to the Christian faith. In Romans 14, that person was a person that comes from a different cultural background from your own. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that other person was the person that comes from a different socioeconomic background from your own. Paul says, step into their lives, their skin, and in love, consider their needs, their experiences, and in so doing, make room for them, for you, for me, for us, as we grow in community together. So I want to give you a little homework in application of this first point. A little homework in the coming week. Ask yourself again and again and again, How would a person from a different background than mine, whether spiritually, whether culturally, whether socially, how would that person experience this part of our community gathering? Whether if it's our worship service here, whether if it's our singing, whether if it's our food, whether if it's our hanging out afterwards, whether if it's eating meat, whether if it's your neighborhood group, your small group, your hangout times, your prayer times, how would they experience 
this part of our community and what can it look like for me to be a part of a self-extending act of love to make room for them, for you. Point number one. Point number two. Principle number two. Making room for one another means self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. Which is really just an implication of the point I just mentioned, considering the needs of someone besides yourself, which means, at times, putting someone else ahead of yourself. Their needs as your priority, even when it comes at a cost to yourself. You see, because so often when churches and communities and just human communities talk about gathering together people in a mixed setting like our mission aims to, too often it's sort of this idea of, hey, well, we'll just go on with life as usual, and if I see someone who's different from me, then of course I'll smile and welcome them. But we don't put it this way, but I'm not going to give up my comforts. And I'm not going to give up what works best for me. I'm not going to give up what makes me feel like I'm at home and a part of the family. And yet look at the way in which the Apostle Paul calls these gospel people, in other words, followers of Jesus, to sacrifice their own comfort, their own freedom, even their own self-expression in worship. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says, look, speak a little bit more helpfully so that you can be inclusive of the person that's coming from the outside so that you might make room in the church and the community for an inquiring visitor. In Romans 14, eat a little bit differently. I mean, you might be thinking, what does what do I eat have to do with community life and the gospel? Paul says it might just make room for a Jewish brother or sister in the Roman context or for another brother or sister of a different cultural background here. Or 1 Corinthians 11. And Paul looks at this community and he says in so many words, consider sitting and socializing a little bit differently, perhaps in love, to make room for a brother or sister of a different social standing. It's an amazing thing. I mean, we see this most clearly in this first passage, 1 Corinthians 14. Where Paul is saying, I understand it may be best for you as an individual in your full experience of God for you to speak in what he is calling tongues. Something you might do privately, something that you might do for your personal maximal encouragement and benefit. But get what Paul is saying. In love for the other, when you're gathered together because of someone who might need to grasp the grace of God in a life-changing way as an inquirer or a visitor, you might restrain yourself. 
give something up even in your worship of God. That's what's so incredible about this, this call. That you might sacrifice a little bit of what you might believe would maximize your experience of God because you can experience more of God as you love another person right next to you. But you're learning how to do that in community together. Giving something up. Putting others, their needs, their encouragement, their blessing, their inclusion, their comfort before your own. Making yourself a little less comfortable for the comfort of another. And Paul, of course, says the great model of this the great motivation of living this way. Because who wants to give anything up? The great model and motivation is Jesus Christ himself. You notice in the Romans passage there where Paul points straight up to the story of Christ. Put your neighbor first. Love your neighbor. Put the others in front of you for their mutual edification. Romans 15, verse 3, Why? For even Christ did not please me himself. But as it is written, quoting from the Old Testament, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. In other words, love in the sacrificial way. Why, Paul says, because the gospel says to us that God himself in Jesus gave up everything, even to the point of death, to make room for you, for me, in his family. So wouldn't knowing him motivate me, turn my heart inside out to do a little bit of the same for someone else? Then in verse 5, this wonderful word of encouragement, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. Oh, that there would be a little bit more of the Spirit of Jesus in the way that we are willing to discomfort ourselves for the comfort of others. Whether if it's in the way in which you decide to not simply ask yourself week in and week out in our gathering here, how does this experience most enrich my life? It's not wrong to think that. You want to grow? Yes. We want you to be blessed? Yes. We want you to be on journey as well. But to have space in your heart and mind to also ask, how is this community shaped in a way that actually is meaningful and helpful to a person that's just starting their Christian journey or inquiring the things about the Christian faith? Or where you bring a friend or neighbor, as I know some of you have here today, and you decide not to just serve as a passive bystander, but rather sort of a tour guide. Well, as they move through the life of the community, you're explaining things. You're shaping your language around what would make it so maximally helpful, even life-changing for them. Where we're doing the same as we're working through questions of how we can be a place that is inclusive of people from a variety of cultural and ethnic backgrounds. 
whether if it's in the way that we integrate Spanish language elements into our service or the way that we're trying to conform our music to appeal to a broad range of taste, the way that we want to actually have everyone come to the community, all of us having to give a little bit of something up so that everyone is able to take a little something away. And a little bit of something mean a little bit of the life of Jesus and experience of the grace of God. Number three, principle number three. How are we doing on time? Got to finish up. This is going to be the last one. Number three, making room means the many extending itself to the few. The many extending itself to the few. One of the fascinating features of this passage is that in each case, there is a clear, predominant group that has been defining the life of the community up to this point. And so in 1 Corinthians, it's the predominance of Christians and Paul calling them to love the inquirer and the visitor in their midst. In Romans 14, it's the predominance of Gentile Christians whom Paul is calling to love and sacrifice for the sake of the few Jewish Christians in their midst. And in 1 Corinthians 11, he's talking to a predominantly middle-to-middle-upper-class church community, calling them to remember the needs and the experiences of those who have much less. It's a fascinating thing where Paul is saying everyone needs to love each other, but there is a special call for love and self-giving when you find yourselves in the many and you're looking out to the few. Because when you're in the predominance of who defines the culture of the community, you certainly do be, you are a part of the way that norms and standards are defined, the way people talk and the way that relationships work and the things that people do when they socialize and when they hang out. Because it's just the natural flow of the way that communities and societies work. In other words... If you find yourself in the many, you have social power. Power to decide what the group does. Power to decide who feels comfortable and when. What topics are talked about. What's defined as meaningful. What is celebrated and rewarded. You have social power. And Paul is saying, by the grace of God, as a radical act of love mirroring the life of Jesus, will you lay some of it down in order to make room? For the few. To make room for the few. I have been a part of predominantly Asian American communities that have been terribly insensitive as the majority in the group to people that are coming from other backgrounds. And I've experienced the other end of things as well. But in this case... It's sort of this dynamic where unconsciously and without intentionality, if you glow with the flow, majority will always rule. And Paul is saying, I think the gospel operates a little bit differently, where there's a special privilege to be like Jesus. 
When you have an opportunity to lay that many privilege down for the few, to love, to extend. And please be clear, even if you might be in a minority group in broader society, if you are in the majority in any given social setting, in a small group or in a room or in a mealtime or in some kind of gathering, well, then the call comes out to you in that setting as well. Because there always are calls to love that arise from unique social dynamics. I'm going to do number four really quickly. Making rooms means challenging social customs to exclude and divide. Challenging social customs that, that exclude and divide. In the 1 Corinthians 11 passage, as I mentioned, the church folks were not doing anything differently than what was done in broader society. The richer and the more powerful ate in the special people room, and everyone else were pushed out to the overflow room. Paul is saying the gospel calls you to challenge what's normal in a society for the sake of love. Because the normal way in which relationships work actually does push towards separation, towards hostility, towards division, because our hearts are selfish. And we don't like discomfort. And we don't like the labor that's required to cross boundaries and to draw people in. And so the great practical question before us really is what normal social customs or behaviors that maybe you just take for granted might be serving as a barrier to you making room for a person unlike yourself to be a part of your relational circles. Whether if it's the way in which you use Christian lingo so thickly and opaquely that anyone outside of the church would have no idea what you're saying or might even think you're local. (laughs) Or if it's the way in which, hey, you just choose a restaurant to eat or you just simply go and hit different establishments that are catered just for your tastes and then you have to ask, according to Paul's call, Are those tastes in the way that that commercial dynamic is created, is it necessarily in line with God's kingdom? Does it necessarily invite you to make room for other people that might be coming from a different background from yours, socioeconomically, socially, culturally, whatever it might be? What could that look like as well? Some people would have you and me believe that good relationships are easy relationships... The Apostle Paul is giving us a different way. It's not easy. Everything we've just talked about, not easy, right? Takes intentionality. Takes sacrifice. Takes the labor of love. Takes risking making mistakes. Takes being a messy community. You ready to sign up? It's not easy. But it is meaningful. It is love. It is like Jesus. It is glorious. You want to be a part of that? I do. I'm here just as much a participant in this crazy project called Grace Meridian Hill, a beneficiary of you and our collective experience of God and the gospel together. A participant, not just a leader. You want to be a part of that? I do. Let's pray. God, we look to you asking that you would uh, give us wisdom now to know how to conform our lives together with this. 
Make us more like Your Son, Jesus. And make this community a loving community. (laughs) Just to put it that simply. But with all that that entails, what we talked about, teach us to love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.